0: Novel.
1: One night, Dirty Buddha and their friend Pop were driving to a Wu-Tang show in Staten Island when ODB decided to change up his look.
0: We had a show going in Staten Island, you know, and we wanted to perform but Dirty didn't really want to be out in Staten Island like that with his face just showing at that moment for some reason. It wasn't nothing bad or nothing like that. He wanted to have that Wu-Tang look from the first video of Protect Your Neck. So he went and got the stockings and everything at the store. The cops saw him putting it on and whipped the car around. And threw us to the ground. Didn't care, took his keys off him, started searching his car and found the gun under the seat.
1: The gun was illegal. He was facing jail time. And in the blink of an eye, Dirty had put his whole future at risk. But at that moment, ODB was lucky he had such good friends. We
0: both went to jail, but being that I was with somebody who had a gun in the car and I was on probation already for another case, I had to go do time.
1: Because his friends took the fall, ODB got to be there for the rise of the clan instead of locked in a cell. Buddha served eight months in jail while Pop paid an even
0: steeper price. Pop was the one who took the gun charge so that me and Dirty could keep going on to perform and not be in jail, because if they would have gave Dirty the charge, Dirty would have had to do time and he would have missed a lot of the new Wu-Tang stuff. It was Pop that saved our career right there. Shout out to my brother Pop. Love you for that, bro. The day Buddha got out of jail,
1: Dirty had a car waiting for him, ready to re-enter the fold.
0: He had a limo pick me up, took me home. There was clothes and money there for me. I put the money in my pocket, got dressed, got in the limo, took it back out to Staten Island and walked right into getting into all the things.
1: This close call wouldn't be the last time. Dirty leaned on his friends for support as he set out to become a solo artist. A crew of friends and collaborators would help ODB create an undeniable classic. From USG Audio, Novel, and Talkhouse. This is ODB, a son unique. Episode three, the zoo. In June of 92, ODB came knocking on Buddha Monk's door.
0: He's like, yo, I need you to come with me. I'm like, where am I going? He said, come with me. By this time now, they done signed The Ink Is Dry, and they're in the studio in Manhattan recording, Raw, I'm going to give it to you with no trivia. We're like cocaine straight from Bolivia. So Dirty had to go on and do his verse that day, and they was playing it. When I heard it, I was like, yo, that's dope. But he brought me in and I was sitting there with him and I was just sitting down, staying quiet, looking around and stuff like that. Like, oh, these niggas about to do this shit. But why am I here? Dirty was like, yo, can you do me a favor? I was like, what's up? He's like, can you tell me if you think this song is a single? I said, no, nah, it's not a single. I didn't hesitate or waste time or nothing. And RZA turned around with this look on his face like, yo, who is that? And Dirty said, that's my man. He going to be with me from now on forever. He going to take care of all my music. I looked at myself and I pointed at myself. You talking about fucking me? I'm I'm thinking somebody behind me, but I'm not realizing there's a fucking wall behind me. So he definitely got to be talking about me. I didn't even say yes to this shit. I just was told what I'm going to do. So turned around and next thing you know, RZA was like, mm, okay, I got an idea then. And then he came up with the second single, Cream. The song
1: starts in the middle of a scene. Raekwon is keeping an eye out for the cops while he sells work. And then Method Man appears with a mantra that will become one of the most iconic lines in the history of rap music.
2: Cash rules Take you
0: everything around join. me. Cream, get the here, money. Here dollar, go. dollar, dollar bills, you yeah. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job.
1: Cash Rules Everything Around Me was a street anthem and the perfect follow-up to Protect Your Neck. RZA put his soulful touch on the production, lacing a breakbeat with a hypnotic piano loop from Charmell's 1967 song, As Long As I've Got You. Protect Your Neck exploded them onto the scene, but Cream made them the biggest thing in hip-hop. Wu-Tang is for the children, and that song just let it be known that no matter what, you gotta get bank in this world. And to be nine years old when I first heard that was educational, man. They weren't sugarcoating the world. They was telling you what the world is about, you know what I'm saying? And money makes this world go around. And that was like a, a fundamental financial education and teaching from Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang were making waves on the underground hip-hop radio shows their freestyle showcased each member's distinct personality, like this from meth.
0: Check it. Representing Staten Island. We about to do this. Check this shit out. I swing funky rap routines and tap your jaws.
1: Dirty had even appeared on radio shows by himself, like the Pioneer and Stretch Armstrong and Bobbito show at Columbia University. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm the old dirty bastard from the wu Chain Clan, you know what I'm saying? Getting ready to wreck shit on that mad, 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 ruthless, rugged and raw type shit, you know what Now, where'd you,
3: you just go? You did pee-pee?
0: But yeah, they had to let that shit out. <laughs> All right, so for the listeners that don't know, this is A-Song,
3: who rhymed with Prince came about a year ago. The first time I encountered them was at a Stretch and Bob show. Stretch and Bob were good friends of mine. They had the show on, WKCR 89. And I was a regular guest, or nuisance, you could say. I went up there a lot. It was like a Thursday night hang at 1 to 5 in the morning.
1: Dante Ross was an A&R at Elektra Records, who signed some of their hottest acts like Busta Rhymes and Brand Nubian. At the time, Wu-Tang was closing the deal with another label, but Dante got the scoop. There was another opening with the crew.
3: Protect Your Neck was out, and it was buzzing. And um, I had a friend, Matty C., who worked at Loud. He told me that they were going to sign the Loud, but he hit me to the fact that they were all free agents outside of their Loud deal. And the Loud deal wasn't even closed yet. I was in my house. I was going to go out. And I tuned in to Stretch and Bob, and they said Old Dirty Bastard was going to be on. And I was already intrigued by him, and I just jumped in the cab to go meet him. I had carte blanche, so I just headed up there, showed up to meet those cats. They didn't have any jewelry on. I thought that was ill. They were just real grimy, like army coats and Tims. And Rizzo was very charismatic, commanding. I was impressed by him. He was obviously a really smart, sharp guy who had done his homework on a lot of shit. We just started talking like he knew exactly who I was. I was like, yeah, come see me. I want to rock with y'all. We set up a meeting and they missed the first one and they came to the second one. And I think it was Dirty, Mookie, RZA. And I think that was it.
1: Dante told RZA that he would make Meth and Dirty into the next big rap duo like EPMD. But RZA had his own idea in mind with Electra.
3: He was very matter-of-fact, like, yo, that's an ill idea, but I'm gonna put meth on Def Jam. But you got all the gods, so I think this is a good place for dirty. And then he looked on my wall, I didn't have any plaques, and he said, I'm gonna put the first gold record on your wall. And his words were prophetic.
1: You gotta understand, at that time, Wu-Tang was doing something unheard of in the music business, signing members to different labels as solo artists. By doing this, the clan would have a grip on the entire industry. And Rizzo was mastermind in all of it. From negative experiences in the industry as a young man, Rizzo had matured into a general who understood the making of great music was only one piece of the puzzle. You gotta be in control. People out there want to get a deal. but they give you a deal, don't forget the word deal. You're making a deal. I say in order to make a deal, you gotta
0: give something to get something. And if you don't understand your deal, you're gonna lose. And that's what happened to me the first trip.
3: What I realize now in retrospect is that he was planning all this stuff ahead of time, and he really had no time to waste. They were like rolled out as the Avengers or the super friends of rap. Each one had like a distinct personality, so they don't cancel each other out. Anything that was put forth by the RZA comes with a game plan, and you'd be stupid to fight that game plan.
0: Here's Buddha Monk again. I knew what was going to be the situation for everybody because one day RZA sat with me and told me before everything happened how the deals were going to fall and they fell just the way he
3: said they were. I did work with a lot of guys who were 5%ers. He knew that I was about my business and that um, I had formidable training working with the gods so anything that arose wasn't going to trip me out at all. I think he knew that he could entrust dirty to me and that I would not pollute his messaging or try to do that.
1: For RZA... It was crucial for Dirty to team up with someone who would protect the integrity of his individuality as a five percenter. The spirit that drove him as a god and as an MC were one and the same.
3: As an a guy, you never want to have to do too much. And What I mean by that is you don't want to have to make someone great. You kind of just want to guide them along and encourage the awesome things that are there as opposed to being intrusive. If you have to get too involved, you probably shouldn't sign that group in the first place. I thought he was the guy who could do hooks.
1: But it was ODB's demo of songs for his album that made it undeniable.
3: When I got the demo, Brooklyn Zoo and Shimmy Shimmy are on the demo. What Dante
1: had in his possession was the genius of Old Dirty Bastard on full display. His voice contained multitudes. On Brooklyn Zoo, he introduces himself as the one man army A Son. He laces his lyrics with the teachings of the 5%. You
0: been out. I keep MCs looking out. I drop signs like cross, be dropping babies. Enough to make the go crazy.
1: It will become a smash record, the kind that makes an a career.
3: So he's got two hit records on his demo. It was five or six songs. All of them made the album. And I would play that demo to death like it was an album. And I still have the demo. Every single guy who I was working with Would demand that I play that demo to the point where Poobah knew where it was in my desk in my office. He would just come in and play it. And dudes would just start laughing. It was a no brainer. It was like everyone knew it was a home run. I knew that he was going to be extremely successful in a selfish way, part of my own legacy.
1: Dirty was the next big star to join the Electra roster. Finally, the guarantee ODB made to Buddha was about to come true. There were going to be somebody.
0: He was like, you see, I told you, God, I told you everything was going to be all right. I knew we had something. He was already buying gear and stuff before he got the money. So when everything did happen, he didn't have to go spend the money he had coming in. He already had the gear because he'd been saving up for this moment.
3: You know he's got the goods. So to me, it was just get the deal done, and walk these dogs, get them to the finish line.
1: The next year would be an odyssey to wrangle dirty to realize the brilliance captured on those demos. But he would need a team to get him to the finish line.
0: A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice.
1: After the first Wu album was released, ODB and Buddha were kicking it on a tour bus somewhere when Dirty hopped into the driver's seat and sped out of town.
0: It's just me and him on the bus. He done left the rest of the clan with the other bus, and me and him drove it all the way back to New York, and we just built all the way. And he told me how he wanted to do everything, what he wanted to vision, aside from the Wu-Tang, like what his vision is for us, He's like, yo, the guys that we met in um, Jersey and everything, I want you to go get them. I want you to bring them in, call them. And then I started making plus degrees to that.
1: ODB was plotting his own collective of formidable MCs. Buddha Monk, Killer Priest, Shorty Shitstain, 12 O'Clock, Silski, Hellraiser, Prodigal Son, and 62nd Assassin. This was the original Brooklyn Zoo a group that ODB wanted to lead as an offshoot of the Klan. Some of them were blood relatives, and others were friends from his block. Brooklyn Zoo wasn't just a song off his album. It was Dirty's vision for a movement, like RZA had for The Woo, and he was using his album and resources to lead the way. At the electro offices, Dirty was getting comfortable and enjoying the perks of a major label deal.
3: When I first signed him, I was in a little office. But in the middle of it, I got like a big dog office and I remember Dirty coming to my office. He was like, oh shit, look at you. Like I had a couch now. Dirty had open rain on my office and he would just come to my office and post up. That was just like kind of his hangout. He was very inquisitive and mischievous and I liked that. I thought that was cool. One day he came to my office and they were like getting rid of all the old plants. He decided he was going to take all the plants and he got a big cart and he filled it up with all the plants I was going to throw away and he took them put him in the, his car and, like, left with the plans.
1: Dirty was having fun, but now there was a pressure to perform. A $45,000 cash advance, along with the buzz surrounding the clan, were all driving Electra's bet on ODB. Now that the ink was dry, he was expected to deliver with an incredible album that would set him apart.
3: Wu-Tang came out before and so did methaman, Man. But for me, that was good in a way because it gave me a blueprint to one, figure out how to market and roll the record out, and two, there was proven success. Therefore, the pressure is on my label not to drop the fucking ball. RZA gives me, I wanna say four, but it might be five, two-inch reels. They are the blueprint for the album. All the beats are there. It's almost unfair. You're handed like hit songs, but you don't have the rest of the record. So you have to make the whole record because the whole record is a centerpiece for these two songs, really.
1: The bulk of the work was to re-record Dirty's vocals in the studio, record the featured guests, and finish a few more new songs. And remember, all of this was happening while the woo was still going full steam as a group. Dirty was juggling shows, press, parties, it was a lot. And Buddha wondered if it was too much for him to manage.
0: You know, like, yo, Buddha, I want to do this, but I got to fly out for five days. So, yo, you got to take care of all of this shit while I'm gone. So I had to get in and get everybody in the studios. He would tell me what tracks to
3: put people on. We spent almost a year finishing the rest of the vocals, tracking the vocals and two additional songs, and fixing the vocals. And then attempting to mix the record. When I came in, all that Dirty had on his plate that he had to take
0: care of, a lot of it fell on me to take care of it. Getting the sounds right on the tracks, making sure the artists show up at the time he said, even when Dirty not paying attention, make sure that the guys recording everything. If you haven't
1: put it together yet,
0: Buddha Monk
1: was ODB's right hand man, a trusted confidant who could keep the operation running smoothly. But that meant Buddha also had to navigate Dirty's unpredictable workflow. Sometimes Dirty was locked into finishing a song. And other times, his attention was scattered between Wu-Tang, girlfriends, and enjoying life on his own terms.
0: He would leave and I would have to stay there to watch the boy. At the same time, I would still try to keep stuff moving along because I knew that Dirty not coming back today. He got a girl on his arm, and he walking out this door. It's not happening. Buddha
1: never knew when the inspiration would strike ODB. You just had to be ready for it.
0: I would get the phone call like, yo, we're going to the studio today. Tell your earth we're going to be gone for like three, four days because we're locking out. we do, we doing a lockout? I was like, okay, but at that time, I didn't know what a lockout was. He was like, oh, okay, a lockout is when... We locked the studio down for like seven days, and we good to go in there, and we stay there. We can sleep there and everything. We gonna get this music right, because I don't want them to take the music off the board, because once they take it off and put it back on, who sometime Sometime it don't
2: snap back. My name is Jack Hersha and I, I worked with Old Dirty Bastard on his first album. I was basically the mix engineer and recording engineer for that whole album.
1: Jack was a recording engineer, who had no idea what he was stepping into.
2: There was another engineer working that night, and RZA was in there laying tracks all night, and then Old Dirty came in close to the morning, and he's like, I'm working all day. And I guess this engineer, he'd been there all night, and Old Dirty was there with the whole crew, driving him crazy. So when I walked in... Laura pulled me in the office, the manager, and she's just like, listen, I don't know what's going on. Old Dirty wants to work all day, so is there any way you can work with him? Jack grew up playing
1: guitar in hair metal bands, but then a course in engineering led to a career pivot. He started at the famed Chong King Studios in Soho as an intern doing food runs.
3: It was like one of the great studios in, in the history of rap music. It's where the Beastie Boys recorded "Licensed to Ill, Run DMC to Raising Hell. LL did all his shit there.
1: When Jack started working with Dirty, Wu-Tang was a wild card in the industry. He heard the stories about the mayhem at their shows and the whispers that they were an actual gang of criminals.
2: At that time, like, a lot of people didn't know what Wu-Tang was all about. We're all watching their videos, and we're going, these guys are, they're from the streets still. So people were a little, like, put off by it in the studio. Like, they're going to wreck the place or something.
1: At Electra, the newly appointed CEO, Sylvia Rohn, was the first black woman to ever lead a major record label. She tried to rein in Dirty's volatile creativity.
3: He got sat down by Sylvia once or twice, and she tried to read him the riot act. <laughs> she tried to tell him what was what. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that shit wasn't working. <laughs> she sat me down I was like, You have to control him, he has to And I was like, okay Man, listen You're not gonna change that, dude Like, forget that, that's not gonna happen And I'm not a babysitter So, I don't know what she thought I could do And look, man, no disrespect to Sylvia Rohn She's a legend, genius That's part of the reason why people love rap music Because it's not homogenized It's not fucking yacht rock, man
1: From executives to assistants, Dirty's methods would bring people to the brink. He went through a few engineers because no one could handle how loud he played back his tracks in the control room. The speakers were always on 10, and then there was just Dirty being Dirty.
2: They are high as hell, and, you know, I think he had no shirt on and a pair of shorts. He had, like, a girl on his side, you know, and um, Dirty was sitting on the couch, and I was over by the tape machines, and a lot of the assistants are running, what kind of microphone do you want? So Dirty looks at me, and he's like, yo, who are you? I said, I'm Jack, I'm your engineer, man. And he goes, oh, you know this room, huh? And I was like, I've been in this room for, you know, the last two years. I know everything about it, you know? He's like, oh, okay, man. I'm going to use everything in here, Jack. He goes, I want my shit bigger than everybody's stuff. That's all he would ever say. I want my shit huge, like a symphony. I walked in there, and I was like, I'm just going to give it my all for him.
1: Jack was put to the test immediately. Dirty had an idea to get off his chest. He barges into another room with Jack to start what will become his sequel to Wu Tang's "Protect Your Neck."
2: He goes, "Where's the microphone? Where's the microphone? I want to, I want to get in on the microphone." He goes out there. I hit record right away, and he does that whole intro. And I don't really think he even knew he was recording. In the opening moments of
1: "Protect Your Neck," 2, the zoo ODB is screaming at the top of his lungs, talking his shit.
0: What are you
2: Buddha looked over at me and I stopped tape because he didn't go into the verse. And then Dirty's like, did you record that? And I was like, yeah. And then he came back in, he listened to it once. He's like, all right, we're going to go over that. And I think I told him, I said, no, nah, man, don't go over that, man. I'm going to go on a different track or something. And then they said, let's listen to that again. And then that's what Dirty said. He goes, punch me in after that. Sort of stack out. This and they kept that. But that was one of those things that he would have those, his voice would crack or something in there, you know, and it would be like, dude, you're never going to be able to do that again. Jack was dope. And Dirty didn't want nobody but Jack.
0: I would say, Jack, I wanted to sound like such and such and such and such. A, and he couldn't get what I was trying to say. But Dirty would be like, I want to sound like Bobby Brown with a little bit of uh, Patty LaBelle. And Jack would like, got it. And I'm looking like, did he just get what Dirty said? Because I didn't get it. But Jack and him had that chemistry. He was a Caucasian guy, but he, he was terrific. Jack was everything you wanted in an engineer.
1: Jack saw a genius within ODB's unique creativity, and Dirty welcomed Jack's guidance to wield the most creative instrument in the room, his voice.
2: I was like, dude, you got to lay off that mic when you start screaming and get some, you know, mic technique, like moving off of it. You could project yourself a lot better. He started to listen to me. And I remember about three, four songs in, I went out into the live room to adjust something on his microphone or something. And he's like, Jack, I got it, man. I know how to hear myself now. He would listen. He was crazy, but he would listen because he wanted his stuff to be different. He wanted to project. As a performer, I mean, his chest, it was like he had this huge breath, like when he would sing those parts and stuff like that. His voice was huge. He could have been an opera singer. I mean, he had that kind of tone and that kind of breath to him. Over weeks and months,
1: Jack helped Dirty piece together the fragments of his masterpiece. Even through wild nights in the studio, they stayed the course. It came
2: down to Everybody in that whole session passing out and beer bottles in every corner. And I think there was one light on over the console still working. And it was just me and Dirty there. And I think there was a 40-ounce bottle like in every corner around us. It just looked like um, all the sailors were dead behind you. And you were the only ones alive on the ship still. You know, it's like one of those deals. Jack
1: saw the star in ODB. He knew there was a lot riding on the success of his album.
2: I gave him everything I had. I wasn't going to just go in there for a paycheck and get out of there or something like that and try to slip by. I was there for him. And I wanted his shit to come across different. Dirty said, hey, man, we're going to work with you for the rest of this album. With Jack at the Boards and Buddha holding it
1: down, the conditions were right for Dirty to create a defining body of work. But even with the support of his partners and friends, Dirty was still living wild for the night. And at any moment, he could bring the drama of his life into the studio and onto wax. The late nights and studio lockouts were becoming a strain on Dirty's loved ones. He was crafting a record that took his attention, but that came at the expense of important relationships. ODB married his girlfriend, Iseline, in 1991. Together, the couple had two daughters and a son who were every part of Dirty's world. But even with the love he had for Iseline, Dirty remained available to other women he had in his life.
0: That's his wife. No woman comes before that, and he let all of these other women know that. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't like he told this girl, yo, I'm going to be with you, I love you, this and that, that and that. Nah, I love you after I love my wife, is what he would tell them. So he knew how to balance it because the next girl, he would lie to her and say that he wasn't with nobody. He like, yeah, I'm with her, but I'm with you too. I was like, did he just say that shit to this girl? Where does it say anywhere that I can't have more than one woman? It was his way of saying, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And so he did what he wanted to do.
1: All of this would come to a head of the recording session when Dirty asked for Iseline to visit the studio.
0: She was ready to unload on him, and Dirty turned on the mics. Going down was the moment that I knew that he was the baddest, low-fo, low-down motherfucker that there ever could be in hip-hop. I'm gonna- Where boo birds fly. Okay, could you imagine? You already know he's a dope ass MC to the fullest, but what the fuck made you think about doing that right there at that moment while she's yelling and cursing at you? Could you imagine sitting in the chair, goosebumps going on your arms, and you actually watching him do this shit? And I'm trying to hold my composure not to laugh because. His wife is standing there, and I get that. It was really him being on some like, I'm blocking you out, bitch, by singing type shit. I'm fucking blown away. I am no longer just your partner on here, or your boy. Yo, I am one of your greatest fans. I was Dirty's greatest fan.
1: ODB wasn't an artist who played it safe. If he felt something deep down, he acted on it. And some part of him wanted to capture this reality. It was part of the vision that he wanted to share with the world. Performing came natural to Dirty. He was still that kid singing in the house with his mom and family. But he was also trying to make his mark on his album as a producer. He was messing around with the ASR drum machine that RZA
0: used. And then he bought his own. He's got this machine. And I said, what you doing? He's like, yo, bro. I love RZA and them and everything and all that, bro, but there's no way in the world I'm not going to put a track on this album where I'm making all the money for it because this would be a new step stepping stone because RZA told me I'd be giving him ideas, but sometimes it sounds weird to him, so I need to learn how to make the beat so I can give him an idea of what I'm looking for.
1: That evening, Buddha and ODB were watching a film, A Rage in Harlem, when Dirty heard something
2: well, gentlemen, uh, I'm prepared to go 10000 apiece. What?
1: It was in the tense standoff between the villain Lester, a gangster named Slim, and Slim's girlfriend, Emma Bell. In the scene, a deal's gone south and Lester strong-arms Slim and Emma Bell. Now, uh,
3: you boys got to turn it into cold cash. Now, there's only two people who can do that, and I'm one of them. I suggest you take my offer.
1: Lester, you trying to cheat us, you cheap bastard. Hush up, baby girl. I'll handle this. Lester, you trying to cheat us? You dirty bastard! At that moment, a light bulb went off.
0: So when Dirty heard that, he was like, "You dirty bastard!" Verse it again, "You dirty bastard!" Then he plugged the two cords in. He sampled it into the ASR, and he said, "You dirty bastard!" <laughs> He left it like that. And then he got the part where the guy was like, no, no. Ah, ah, ooh, ooh, ooh. And he threw that in. After he did that, he took the bait, because he liked 808s. This one was like a 808 Tom. He would go, doom, 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 doom. Then he did, doom, 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 Cloom Doom, doom, doom. Look tell me why, tell me so. I asked you to go high, you tell me to go low.
1: That drum pattern will become the foundation of The Stomp, a rugged track in line with the rest of the album's grimy sonics.
0: And yeah, you dirty bastard. And then he was like, I'm the original G-O. Before he did that, he was like, you see my pinky, you see my thumb. I said, no, 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 that's too fast for it, God. We got to get dirty and stinking now because you done done caught. You said you a dirty bastard. I need you to be dirty on this. And then he said, get you ready to party, party along with me. Sing the song, sing the song with me, and then I was like, yeah, like that. And then all of a sudden, we go to the studio, and he got the whole run. The lady, tell me why, tell me so. I actually you to go high, ah, you tell me to go low, so I go low. <clears throat> taste the shit, <clears throat> taste the shit, I like it. I'm like, yo, this joint is crazy. So the next day he showed me how to use the machine and I made a beat that he wanted to use on his next album. So when he realized that I could make beats, he gave me the ASR. Sometimes it seemed
1: like Dirty was making it up as he went, but there was an artist at work. ODB wasn't Brian Wilson making pet sounds or a young Dr. Dre dialing in every fader at the boards. He worked on instinct and embraced the edges. Towards the end of the recording sessions, ODB pulled out all the stops and got the Brooklyn Zoo crew together to finish what he started on that first day with Jack Hersha. And the guys were always around the studio anyway, ready for a moment like this to make some noise. With Dirty as the ringleader, they jumped in to protect
0: your neck too, the zoo. We all got in the room and the whole Brooklyn Zoo was there to finally do this song that we was waiting for. He had mad pizzas. He had champagne. We had beers. We had Hennessy and everything. And everybody getting their fire water, they weed. Everybody getting their groove on. And then all of a sudden. To stack out. This the
3: 357 to
0: your man. Thirty, can you hear me? Rolling some inflicting it's that G type slain that makes this real sickening. Ignite the styles. I got my hand on the trigger. Start from the smallest and hits the bigger nigga. yo! So when I did my part, everybody was like, ooh, okay, that's how you come in, then the other one would go, ooh. But when Dirty got on it and said, woo, hey, flip the cook the wool snippet, you don't want to lose riffin', I'm not op, Say that no shit for Andy Griffin. Yo. <laughs> Just when I thought we all had it, this nigga came one day and he destroyed the track. And then they let 60 close it out. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God.
1: Protect Your Neck 2 was pure ODB. A grimy beat, ad-libs coming from all directions, and unpredictable energy. Dirty was conducting a creative storm, and the result was undeniable. Dirty was making his own beats, formed his own group, and recognized the power in what he was building. What might have looked like chaos from the outside was actually all part of his process. ODB led others into his world, but this was only half of the journey. The studio stories were nothing like the wild scenes at nightclubs or the label drama that he would stir up leading up to the album's release. Up next on ODB, a song Unique. A Mexican standoff, a meltdown, and more put Dirty over the edge.
3: Dirty was a wild motherfucker before Fame and Fortune. When Fame and Fortune showed up, he was that much wilder. All bets are off.
1: ODB, A Sun Unique, is produced by Novel and Talkhouse for USG Audio. The series is hosted by me, Khalik Kala. The series was written by Taylor Jones and Muhammad Ahmed. The producer was Taylor Jones, with additional production from Muhammad Ahmed. Production support from Lee Meyer. Our researcher is Zayana Yusuf. Our editor is Veronica Simmons. Our executive producers are Dante Ross and Buddha Monk. Georgia Moody and Max O'Brien for Novel Josh Block for USG Audio and Ian Wheeler for Talkhouse. Production Support for USG Audio by Josh Lalongi. Production Management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolfe Our Fact Checker is Dania Suleiman Willard Foxton is Creative Director of Development Sound Design and Mixing by Nicholas Alexander and Daniel Kempson Location and studio recordings by Michael Geno. Original music composed by Tom Young. Special thanks to Sean Glynn. This is a USG Audio podcast. For more information or to check out our other podcasts, go to usgaudio.com. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. Novel.